It's my privilege, honour and wifely obligation to introduce this morning's preacher for you. I apologise, this shirt isn't ironed. That's his own job. Um, Actually, he does all the ironing at the moment, so... Right, I'm just going to pray for him and for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those that you gift and anoint to open your word to us, Lord. I pray that our hearts and ears and minds would be open and uh, ready to hear what Dan's got to share with us this morning. Father, I pray he speaks with clarity straight from your heart into ours. Jesus, just let him hear so clearly from you. Let his words be anointed and let them settle and, and grow in our hearts and our minds, Jesus, that they might change us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Okay. Right. Uh, I want to start this morning, um, I'm going to start this morning by confessing something to you all. Um, It's not that deep. Uh, (laughs) um, I've previously spoken about my love of flying, uh, how I enjoy getting on an aeroplane and the experience of flying, but it's a little bit more geeky and it grows a bit deeper than that. Um, See, I don't just love flying, I love all things planes. I love all things planes. I love, uh, I love reading about them. I like looking at pictures of them. I love going to Manchester Airport and standing in the runway park and watching planes take off and land. The other day, I, I was working and I was doing an event in the same uh, hangar as Concorde. And I reckon it probably took me about three times as long to do any work because every time I just went, plane! <laughs> um, and, and not only that, but it gets uh, even geekier than that. Um, I have an app on my phone which tells me about planes. So uh, let's just see if this works. Um, so in the corner, you can see I've got flight radar there. And uh, if I click on that, then it opens up. And these are the planes that are currently flying above us right now. Um, and this one is going from London to Denver. It's a United Airlines flight. It's a Dreamliner. I can zoom right in. I can see it's at 38,000 feet nearly. 500 knots going pretty fast. Um, I can come out of that and uh, I can click on this one a bit further down. This one is uh, one of my favorites. It's an A380. It's the double-decker. Um, and uh, it's going at 5,000 feet. And uh, it's slowing down because it's coming into land at Manchester Airport. I got to fly on one of those recently. It was amazing. And uh, if I click on the picture, then it takes me uh, to a website where I can then look at more photos of that plane. (laughs) And I can look at photos from that location where that plane was taken and and all that sort of thing. I'm really glad that worked because it's really fun. Um, And uh, I get distracted by this app quite a lot. Um... You might find me in a field, or normally, actually, in the uh, park near Lindley Junior School. I drop Phoebe off, and then I walk back in, and I look up at the vapor trails, and I get my phone out, and I look to the sky, and I go, this one's going there, and this one's going there, and I get really excited. And I know what you're all thinking. You're either thinking, this is amazing, I want this app, you're downloading it now, I can see you, or you're thinking... Who is this guy? Get him off. Um, But, you know, because I love it, because I have this app with me all the time, I want to share it with the people around me. Um, I stood on the beach at Christmas and I told my dad all about what planes were going over us. Um, My family are constantly 
being told all about it. Now, my family, we're a family of four. Ruth, my wife, she is tolerant of it. She mostly ignores it, unless it's making us late for something. In which case, will you put that app away, put your phone down? But it's all right, because I've got two kids. (laughs) So Phoebe, my nine-year-old, my nine-year-old daughter, uh, I start telling her about planes. I start showing her the app. I take her to the runway park in Manchester. And you know what? She watches a few planes. And she's interested for a few minutes. But then the draw of the swings and the slides that are there, the draw of the hot chocolate in the cafe, they're too great for her. And we have a good time and we sit and we watch a couple of planes and we have a hot chocolate and and all that. But it's not what I came for. It's not planes. It's not all about the planes. But then along comes Josiah, my two-year-old little boy, And he is a boy after my own heart. He likes anything that is big, anything that moves, he loves. Trains, automobiles, and most importantly, planes. (laughs) So when we go to the runway park, he is captivated. He runs up to the fence. He's not interested in sitting and having a drink. We tried it, and all he wanted to do was get in Concord. And do you know what? He is constantly surprised. Every time a plane lands or take off, he is surprised. Plane, plane, plane. I'm not actually sure he understands what an airport is, but he's constantly surprised. And do you know, it brings me such joy that something I have been captivated by for years is now loved and has captivated him. So my question to you this morning is what has captivated you? We're going to read Acts 4 together. This is from the ESV. I'm going to read it from the sc- on the screen because uh, I'm clicking. <laughs> and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Uh, sorry, this is uh, meant to put context. Peter and John, just to give you some context, Peter and John, the disciples, have, uh, the, this is in Acts 4, and the Pentecost comes in Acts 2, and in Acts 3, they go to the temple and they pray for a, a lame beggar. And they, it's that famous verse, Peter says to them, says to the lame beggar, they walk past him and he says, can you give me some money? And they say, we don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then people see this and they start preaching about Jesus in the temple. And now, as we read here, the high priests and the Jewish religious leaders, they're not happy. And so they call Peter and John before them. Sorry, I should have said that first. So the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among, by, among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach us all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Peter and John give an account, and they use that phrase. And this is the the NIV translation says, For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now that verse and that jumper that it is will be familiar to some guys in here. That's the Christian Union jumper from when we were at uni. And it was on our backs, and it was on the backs of everyone in the CU. Um, I don't know if it was the committee before us or the committee before that that did it. But we all wore them. And we all walked around with that on our backs. And for years I thought this was just that the disciples were amazed by the miracles. That they were so caught up in the teaching. That they were so uh, amazed by what was happening. That that's why they couldn't help talk. But you know there were many others who heard that teaching. Many other people heard the Sermon on the Mount. Many other people saw miracles. When the man came through the roof, he came through the roof because there was no space. So many people have seen that miracle. And you know, many of those people, many of those people who heard Jesus, many of those people who saw the miracles, they were the ones who sent Jesus to the cross. So what made Peter and John different? What caused them to have this viewpoint What caused them to have this complete and utter conviction that said, no matter what, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard? Well, verse 12 in that passage we just read gives us a clue. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They had walked with him for three years. They had experienced the grace and the compassion of Jesus firsthand. And their time with him had completely transformed them. You know, what he said about them, what he said, the words he said to them, 
defined who they were. Peter, Jesus said to him, you are the rock on which the church will be built. In Matthew 16, verse 18, John, we were hearing about John last week. Judas talked about him. He, he called himself, when he, wrote his, uh, when he wrote the gospel, he called himself the gospel, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved. Not because he thought he was better than everyone else, but because he had an understanding that Jesus loved him. Their whole life and their purpose was gripped up in him. And it had become about him. And last week, Judith asked us this. She said, what would our lives actually be like if we believed of ourselves? If we went around knowing and convinced of this, that I am the one that Jesus loved. Peter and John knew this. And we can read about the results in this book. We read about the results as, uh, as we read through Acts in these stories that we've just talked about and read. Jesus had captivated their hearts. And the result was that his love overflowed. It overflowed into what they said. They spoke of Jesus. They spoke of who he was. They spoke of his death and his resurrection. Their words were full of grace. They were full of hope. And they were full of truth. And they spoke of the promise for all nations. And it overflowed into what they did. They moved in compassion you know, they could have walked past that man, but they were, they were moved to compassion to lay hands on him and to declare that he'd be well in the name of Jesus. They healed the sick. They prayed and they moved with faith and with boldness. They moved without fear because they understood that perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4.18 They shared what they had. You read about it. It comes up several times in Acts. There was not a needy person amongst them. So what has captivated your heart? What have you allowed to grip you? Is it the identity you find in your work, in your role, in your lifestyle choices, your friends, your colleagues, your family members? Or are you captivated by Jesus? Are you gripped by circumstances, fear, sorrow, frustrations, bitterness? Or are you gripped by Jesus? Do you feel lost without purpose, without hope, metaphorically wandering around with no direction? Well, Jesus is the way. And Jesus wants to captivate our hearts. He wants to pour out his unconditional love on you and I. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 says love never ends. In some other translations, it says love never fails. It doesn't end. It's unconditional. It goes on and on and on. And no matter what we do, his love is poured out for us. His love receives us. His love goes beyond all that we can imagine. He longs to know you. He longs to know you intimately. He's a jealous God. It says, it's, it says in, in the word that he's a jealous God. And that's because he wants you. He longs that you go after him. He longs that you pursue him. He longs that your heart is captivated by him and him alone. He wants to show you who he is. And in doing so, he will show you, he'll show me, he'll show us who we are. And when he does that, we won't be able to keep it in. Luke 6 Verse 45, this is in the ESV. 
The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. When your heart is captivated by him, when your heart is full of him, when that's the thing that's, that's gripping you and holding you, that's your treasure. And you know, some other translations, they use the word overflow. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus changes and he transforms us so much that we can't keep it all to ourselves. It constantly comes out of us. It constantly comes out of us in our words. It comes out of us in our deeds. It comes out of us in how we are around people. It comes out of us in the way that we move when something happens. It comes out of us in, the, in our response to situation and circumstance. But in order for there to be an abundance, in order for there to be an overflow, we have to keep returning to him. If we want to reach the world... We have to be continually captivated by him. We have to keep returning to the place of our first love. Now that is a a pile of rocks, as you can see. Uh, And that's on Rustington, West Sussex seafront. And when I need to return to the place of my first love, that's one of the places I go. And I go and sit on those rocks. And uh, I put a thing on Instagram and said, I'm sat on my rocks. And about 20 of my friends said, they're my rocks. Get off them. (laughs) But we have to keep returning to the place of our first love, to the place where he called us, to the place where he moved, to the place where he moved our hearts, where he stirred us, to the place where he spoke to us, to the place where he whispered our names. To the place where he declared his goodness and his promises over us. Where it was so clear, where it was so so on our wavelength that we understood that we grabbed it straight away. You know, if we're honest, some of us have lost, some of us have distanced ourselves from our first love. And it's time to return to that place. And if we're not careful, we can end up just liking Jesus. If we're not careful, we can end up just liking Jesus. Now, I like football. I've spoken about this before. And um, just over a year ago, I took Phoebe to her first football match. There we are. <laughs> and uh, and we've been to see Town play a few times. We've got some vouchers and uh, it was nice and cheap. And we've been to see Huddersfield play a few times. We've been with friends. Uh, at one point, I think about 12 of us went last year, and uh, we didn't get a good picture because it was so sunny that literally everyone, apart from me and Marcus, who got sunglasses, were like this in the picture. Um, actually, sorry, I had sunglasses as well, Mr. Gleish. <laughs> but, um, and uh, we've had lots of fun, and we even made it onto Match of the Day. And I did. I was going to put that picture up, but it's not very clear. Um, but I took a picture, a screenshot, and I sent it around to everyone. We were on match of the day, and we had a lot of fun. But you know, there was something missing because I like town. I've lived here eighteen and a half years. I've been here when they got promoted and relegated, and and I quite like town. 
I've got a bit of a soft spot, but they're not my first love. My first love, as many of you know, is Manchester United. And despite the pain and the hurt of recent times, <laughs> they're still my first love. And uh, I remember as a kid, my dad wasn't really into football. I remember as a kid asking my uncle who I should support. And all my friends were supporting Liverpool and they're living the dream now. <laughs> but at that point, no, none of my friends supported Manchester United, but my uncle did. So I, I started supporting Manchester United and I remember the rise and now I remember the fall. But they're still my team. They're still my first love. And it got to a point with Phoebe where we'd been to a few games at, uh, at the John Smith Stadium, the town, and she said, can we go to Old Trafford? And so in December, we went to Old Trafford. <laughs> and we went, what? It's not a giant scarf, it's a Harry Potter scarf. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the place of my first love. And suddenly, Phoebe witnessed... The difference in me, <laughs> good and bad maybe, <laughs> when I was in the place of my first love when it comes to football. She witnessed the passion, she witnessed the nerves. We went to see Manchester United in that famous grudge match against Colchester in the Carabao Cup and they didn't score a goal for the first half and they couldn't, they, they couldn't hit a barn door and I remember getting so frustrated and she was getting frustrated. And then I remember the joy when they scored. And we sang songs, some of the songs, not all the songs. <laughs> but, you know, she got it and she grabbed it and she joined in. And when we walked out of Old Trafford on that day, she said, can we go again? The place of my first love has become hers. Which I'll probably feel sorry for her in a few years. <laughs> You know, it's time to love again. It's time to return to that place of your first love. It's time to return to the place of intimacy with Jesus. It's time to ask God, ask Jesus, to remind you, what has he said to you? What has God said to you? What has God shown you? Do you know this isn't about living in the past, but this is about allowing the word of God to dwell in us richly, like Paul says in Colossians. I bought a word last week uh, at the first prayer meeting last, uh, last Sunday night, and it's, God says, it is a new day. But God says, I am an eternal God. And it's time to dig deep of the eternal. It's time to dig deep of the eternal grace, to dig deep of the eternal truth, to dig deep of my eternal mercies. And it's time to allow me to remind you of what I have said to you, what I have called you to. Because I am a God of yesterday, today and forever. And I will put the words I spoke to you then together with the now and together with your calling and your future. You know, I'm really excited by this season of prayer and fasting. We need to do it more. Not necessarily three weeks, but we need to pray and fast more. Why? Because, not because we want to persuade God. 
Not because we're trying to get him to do things, but because we want to know God more. We want Jesus to be at the center of it all. Luke ten twenty seven, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever noticed the order of this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. A captivated heart affects the whole being. We can't love our neighbors as ourselves if, we don't, if we're not captivated by God. If our hearts aren't captivated by Jesus. But a captivated heart affects the whole being. Which gives you everything you else that you need. It gives you your strength. It gives you clarity of mind, clarity of vision. And it enables you to love your neighbors as yourself. That verse we read earlier in Luke 6 verse 45. This time from the message. You don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Your true being, it comes from him. It comes from being captivated by your first love. So let him captivate you again. Let him captivate you. Let him speak to you. Let him remind you of what he said over your lives. And then you won't be able to stop showing and speaking his love. Like Paul and uh, no, Peter and John. You won't be able to help speaking of what you've seen and you've heard. Amen.